As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of At The Yard. I'm Corey Seidman, along with Jim Salisbury. We're presented by Deborah Heart and Lung Center. If it's your heart, Demand Deborah, visit demanddeborah.org. And please subscribe and rate At The Yard wherever you listen to podcasts. We're very appreciative of all the uh, subscriptions and downloads after last week's episode. And today we're going to really dive into the winter meetings, which are right around the corner here. Uh, today's podcast, you know, the Phillies trade for Gene Segura. What's next after missing out on Patrick Corbin? And what really goes down? at the winter meetings. And Jim, we're going to begin with an extremely active National League East. Did you anticipate the NL East making this many moves early in the offseason, especially the New York Mets? Well, I probably not, but I guess when you look at it this way, they have a new general manager eager to come in and uh, make a mark. They are a big market team um, that, you know, competes although not in the same league as the Yankees, they compete for entertainment dollars with the Yankees, and I think they did need to do something. And they have that really good, talented pitching staff that's not getting getting any younger. So um, if that pitching staff ever stays healthy, they're a very, very dangerous team. And I think they're making a good call in trying to augment around that pitching staff, uh, especially bringing in that brilliant young closer, Diaz, from Seattle. Um they bring in Robbie Cano, who I, I still believe is a very good hitter. How much longer will he be a very good hitter at, at 36 years old? You know, we're going to see, but I think they've made themselves a, a better team for 2019 if the starting pitching stays healthy, a dangerous team for 2019. And they're also reportedly in the market for the catcher Real Muto from the Marlins, who is one of the best players in the division already. If they get him... Um, they have gotten even better than, than, you know, they already have made that move. Um, and the Nationals have added Corbin. They added uh, Suzuki. They've, they've, they've tinkered with their bullpen. They're certainly not sitting around. The also break. Jan Gomes from and the you, Indians. Yeah, uh, two catchers, right? Yeah, two of the, probably the top 12 catchers in baseball. Well, so. there you go. So they're not letting any, any uh, grass grow under their feet. And then, of course, the, uh, the uh, Atlanta Braves are, are busy as well, and they're a heck of a team. So, uh you know, uh, we're going to see here. It's, it's, it seems like the whole division is improved. And Gene Segura helps the Phillies. Sure. The Phillies I, you, have improved a little bit as well. I, you mentioned that the Mets are a big market team. Well, they're a big market team that has operated for the last five years like a small market team. And now it's kind of like, I don't want to use the phrase sleeping giant, but something close to that. I don't, I don't think many people went into this offseason expecting that the Phillies were going to have genuine competition from a team like the Mets. But now you you know, you know, bring up the guys like DeGrom, Syndergaard, Zach Wheeler taking that next step. If they can add a guy like Real Muto on top of that, hey, this is going to be a really competitive division. And the Nationals, with, by getting Patrick Corbin, kind of a smart move. You know, they spe- It's a way for them to spend a lot of money and keep themselves very competitive and very good while closing the book on Bryce Harper, who they probably not, were not going to be able to bring back anyway. And, and, and the Braves adding a real a great player in Josh John, Donaldson when healthy. He's a great player on both sides of the ball. Uh, the ball flies in that new ballpark. 
on a one-year deal, get back out there in free agency next year. If he's healthy, he's going to be motivated to do some big things. And, you know, that lineup with the two young guys, Albies with uh, Okunia, and, of course, Freddie Freeman, uh, you're looking at a pretty good ball club in Atlanta. They won the division, and I think they're better. Yeah, Phillies, uh, you know, if you look at the four rosters right now on paper, you know, the Phillies are kind of closer to the Mets than they are to the Nationals and Braves. That's before any of the big spending really has gotten started. The one move the Phillies have made is Gene Segura, obviously. Um, he's a player I've liked for a long time, Gene Segura. The, one of only four players in the majors to hit 300 in each of the last three seasons. Gives the Phillies lineup more energy at the top, more speed, better base stealing. You know, his speed might be akin to Cesar Hernandez's, but... Segura has been a much better base dealer throughout his career. He's averaged 30 steals per full season. Hernandez, 18 per full season. How much do you think this strengthens the Phillies lineup? Was this um, something that you thought that they could do in the offseason? I mean, Gene Segura was a name that we discussed on last week's podcast, but not necessarily that the Phillies were going to, that a trade was imminent. I think they were looking to upgrade uh, offense, the offense uh, that they were getting out of shortstop, and they've done that. Uh, they were looking to do that in July when they brought in Cabrera. So, uh, I, I think they were looking at the left side of the infield and, and a remake over there, and they're still in, in uh, interested in bringing in Machado as a third baseman. We'll see if that happens, but um, I think Segura is, is a really gifted hitter. I remember watching him when he was a young player with Milwaukee. Um, he's, he's, you know, he's, he's all baseball player. Uh, he's bounced around a lot. That kind of makes you scratch your head about makeup and things like that, but uh, I do think they needed that that bat, that offense, and and you know it's, it's a two pronged move. Um, you've gotten your signature, one of your signature players, Reese Hoskins, a guy you want to build around. You've gotten him back to a position where he flat out says says he's more comfortable, more confident position he wanted to get back to and, and play. So, um, and I'm not, you know, everybody is on Carlos Santana, and there's a lot of hate for Carlos Carlos Santana. You're not going to hear it here. I liked the move when they did it last year. I like a GM who takes some chances now and then. I thought it was a good chance trying to lengthen your lineup, trying to lengthen your add more offense. I thought Reese Hoskins uh, was worth a look in left field. It didn't work. It just didn't work. And sometimes things don't work in pro sports. That doesn't mean they weren't thought out. Uh, that doesn't mean there was uh, some decent logic behind it. And Klintak uh, has extricated him from that. Extricated himself from that. Uh, situation very deftly uh, by moving Santana in this Segura deal. He got better at shortstop. He got Hoskins back to a position uh, that he wants to play. It was an experiment that didn't work, but you but you can't really call it that big of a mistake if it was fixed in less than a year. I mean, the Phillies a year ago today didn't even had hadn't even signed Carlos. Well, the town is calling it a mistake. I'm not calling it a mistake. Uh, But I didn't hear anybody calling it a mistake uh, last uh, December when they made the trade. And uh, I was for it. I thought it was it signaled them ramping up a little bit um, and, and trying to uh, improve their offense. I was on board with it. I was in favor of it on the record. And I'm not going to uh, employ hindsight and, and all that and saying it was a, a huge mistake. It didn't work. They got out of it. it people would have been much more uh, um, accepting of Carlos Santana if he hit 250. Well, you know what? If he had two more hits a month, six hits, he would have hit 250. He did a lot of good things in that offense. He just didn't hit for batting average. Uh, and you know what? This, this exit velocity stuff, uh, it's real. It's science. And he did hit the ball hard. And he did hit into an awful lot of bad luck in April. Uh, so, And again, you know, you mentioned April. If Carlos Santana doesn't get out to such a slow start, I think the, the reception here is totally different. If, if Carlos Santana's on the 08 Phillies, he's Jason Worth. 
He's a complimentary guy uh, with, you know, Jimmy and Chase and Ryan Howard kind of carrying the water. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they're, so then, they're your table. They're your big guns. He becomes a complimentary guy. And um, and all of a sudden, everybody's like, wow, what a good player. Uh, but when you pay him like a superstar and you ask him to be a superstar and he's not that guy, he takes more heat, undeserved heat. When you when you pay him like a superstar and you displace a guy like Reese Hoskins, put him in a different position, I don't think the Phillies expected that Hoskins' defense was going to be as costly as it was for a majority. Nobody did. They wouldn't have done it if they right. thought it was going to be that costly. I, I mean, something I thought about, that Paul, Paul Goldschmidt was acquired by the Cardinals within the last 24 hours, and I was just thinking, you know, that's the kind of player in retrospect. And again, this is hindsight, but if you're going to move a player like Hoskins off of first base, you do it for a player the caliber of a Goldschmidt. I think that Carlos Santana's offense just wasn't enough to outweigh the defensive component of that. And the Phillies saw that, and that's why they realized that they you know, needed to get out from under that contract. It's interesting that in the Segura trade, they're giving up Crawford and Santana, two guys whose, I guess, their calling card is their plate selection. And they're bringing back a guy in Gene Segura who doesn't walk much, doesn't strike out much, puts the ball in play a ton, kind of... I don't know that it, it means that they're going to shift their offensive philosophy, but it's interesting that they're taking this approach, you know, after Gabe Kapler's first year and after they had added, after they have been talked for so much uh, for the last few years about how much they value plate selection and guys controlling at bats. I asked Matt Klintak that very question the other night after the trade, and um, he said they're not moving away from that philosophy. They still want guys who grind it and see pitches and, you know, wear down pitchers. Uh, but Segura has a very, very strong on-base percentage, and it's driven by his, his batting average. And um, it's driven by, driven by him being an aggressive guy who puts the bat on the ball. So I actually think you need a blend in your lineup of styles, you know. And, and I think Segura, you know, you're going to need your on-base percentage guys. But as long as he hits, he, he's an on-base guy. Um, I think you need different types and different styles, and I think he's going to help this team. I, I really do. I just I look at the Segura as – a comparable player to what Juan Pierre and Luis Castillo provided the Marlins in the early 2000s. Maybe not as good because Pierre was hitting like 330. Segura's closer to like 300 to 310. But Segura also has more pop than both yeah, of those he's, guys. He's, he's going to hit a lot of gappers. Yeah, I mean, two years ago in, in 2016 when he was in Arizona, and granted Chase Field two years ago was much more hitter-friendly than even Citizens Bank Park, that year Segura hit 41 doubles and 20 homers. So I think that the power can get closer to that than it was at Safeco Field, which is, you know, a, a haven a haven for pitchers. This is a good place to hit, but we can't lose sight of the fact that such a big part of this deal was moving Carlos Santana. They moved Carlos Santana, and they still got better. They didn't just, you know, ship him out of here and take what you could get. They addressed a position of need with a good player. And with one move, the roster now just makes so much more sense, and that's even before the Phillies have splurged on any of these high-priced free agents. So going from the offense now to pitching, Patrick Corbin, he's in D.C. The Phillies are now going to see him three, four, five times a year. Won't that be a lot of fun, having to deal with Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin um, you know, in 19 different meetings? Not that you're going to face those guys all the time, but just such a strong rotation now that the Nationals have built. So the Phillies missed out on Patrick Corbin. You've been reporting pretty much all offseason that the Phillies also have interest in Jay Happ, that they're, they want to add a lefty to the rotation. It makes sense. They haven't had lefties uh, starting in recent years. Is Jay Happ enough of, enough of an upgrade for this rotation? It all depends on how he pitches, Corey. If he pitches like he did last month with the Blue Jays, no. If he pitches like he did with the Yankees, yes. You know, it's about performance. Um, but Happ's a guy, they didn't want to go six years on uh, Corbin. And he made it clear that, you know, he wanted you Darvish contract. And I don't blame him. You only get one shot at free agency. Get all you can get. So they did not want to risk a six-year deal on a 30. A guy who beat, turned 30 next year had Tommy John surgery already. 
Um, you know, they've been burned by long-term contracts on pitchers. Cliff Lee, they didn't get much out of the last two years of Cliff Lee. But there are other, they would like to get a lefty. Robbie Ray is a trade possibility. Uh, the the um, Kikuchi, the guy that's coming over from, from Japan, they have interest in Kikuchi. They like Kikuchi. They've had eyeballs on him. They, they're going to be in the mix for him. I think he's going to end up on the West Coast. Um, sometimes the West Coast can be uh, just a little bit, uh, maybe, I don't know, the fans maybe can be a little more patient because there is a break-in period for a guy coming over from Asia. Uh, but, you know, we'll see where it goes. They're on him. Keiko, I haven't been able to ascertain that they're on him heavily, if at all. Uh, and then you move on to right-handers. And the right-handers with the Indians, um, you know, Kluber and Bauer, they're going to be very expensive. So it, it, it it's always, you know, you have to risk what it's going to cost you to get help now. Bumgardner. Um, Bumgardner, Bum do you really want to? pay big prospects, multiples of big prospects for one year of control on, on Madison's Bumgardner when you're not a World Series team next year. I, I'd i be reluctant to give up the farm for to, to, to help me finish in second place. As, uh, as would I. That's why, I mean, Corey Kluber that's why he, is so much you know, more appealing. If I'm ready to win the World Series, if I'm the Yankees, if I'm the uh, Astros, I am on Madison Bumgardner. But I think the Phillies have to be really careful there. Hey, real quick. So you mentioned that the Phillies didn't want to go six years on Corbin, which is reasonable. I mean, it's, it's rarely a good investment to give a pitcher six years, much less you know a guy who is going to be 36 or so at the end of that contract. I got a couple comments when the Corbin deal went down, a couple questions and emails and tweets. What's the difference between five years and six years? If the Phillies were willing to offer five, why not offer six? And, you know, my, my thinking in that is, well, the Phillies really didn't want to go beyond three or four years yeah. for any of these guys. So it's not the difference of five or six. The difference is you're already kind of bending, and now you're asking to bend even further. Yeah. I mean, I don't think they probably wanted to go five, like you said. Now you're at... What's the difference? I don't know. It depends on the contract structure. It might be as much as $30 million. I mean, I think back to, remember when Cliff Lee was hurt at the end of his gargantuan contract? Yeah. And for about a year and a half there, you're paying a guy... What like twenty five to thirty million dollars for nothing? Well, they paid him basically, uh, tw- you know, twenty five for half a season when he was hurt, then twenty five uh, when he didn't pitch, and then they paid him a twelve million dollar buyout. And you know, hey, you're happy to spend the money if you're going to get the production, right? Um, it, it, a lot of times, it's it's not the fact that you're giving the guy the thirty million to be on the DL. It's what it prevents you from doing um, to get better. Yeah. You know? so. so okay, so let me present you two scenarios: Jay Hap. Are, do you think he's a two or three year contract guy? I mean, to me, it seems like at his age, he's you know he's in his mid thirties. Two years seems like it's it's re- realistic with maybe a third year option. What do you think about that? I think that's that's probably where it's going to go. I'm sure he wants that third one guaranteed though. And Keuchel, Keuchel's younger, more of a three or four year deal there. You think? Yeah, I would. I would I th- hey, these guys are going to want to get everything they can get, but I think those are pretty good estimates at what they might get. Uh, Hat being thirty six, to me, two in an option with you know. Uh, you know, clauses about staying off the DL in the second year, innings pitched maybe might uh, trigger an option, uh, but it, you know it's going to be it's going to be risky. There's risk there's risk on 26 year old pitchers. Never mind 36 year old pitchers. I'm curious to see what Dallas Keuchel gets if he gets more than like Jake Arrieta in total money. You know Jake Arrieta the 75 million over three years. Does does Keuchel does he reach like 80 million? Is he looking more at like 20 a year? I look at a guy like that. There's a lot to like. But he is declined. I mean, he has declined substantially from his Cy Young year. Uh, he allowed the most hits in all of Major League Baseball last season. He had his lowest strikeout rate since 2014. He still is the best ground ball pitcher in all of baseball. And if you put him on a staff with Jake Arrieta and Aaron Nola, that's creating a situation where your infielders are going to be doing the bulk of the work. 
and you know, bringing in Gene Segura, improving your infield defense. If the Phillies do end up adding Manny Machado, that improves the infield defense even more. That could really work out. It's just Dallas Keuchel now becomes the most attractive starting pitcher in free agency. And if the bidding, you know, if, if it becomes a bidding war, I don't know that he's even going to be a good buy either. I wouldn't have given Patrick Corbin 140. And you mentioned Keuchel. I, I, I have not been able to ascertain that the Phillies are on him. And that, you know, that is not gospel. It's just... You know, as a reporter, you can nail down some things, and some things you just can't nail down. So um, I'm not sure where they stand on Dallas Keuchel. Well, so one thing that you have um, said the last couple weeks is that you kind of get the sense that the Phillies right now are more interested or more more so pursuing Manny Machado than Bryce Harper. Um, what gives you that sense? Um, just the fact that I think they'd like to upgrade um, – the left side of the infield, the fact that he plays two positions. I know you have Segura, uh, but the fact that they need a third baseman um, and the fact that they were on him so heavily in July and they've been talking about him for two years. Uh, and just, you know, you just you talk to people about it seem, you know where their preferences seem to lie and you try to read people and read body language. And uh, I just think this is a guy that they still like. And um, not that they don't like Bryce Harper. They could end up making a big play for Bryce Harper, but uh, I think they like both players and, and believe both players would make a difference here. I just get the feel that they believe uh, at this moment in time Machado is a better fit for what they're trying to do baseball-wise. And my feel is that they've prioritized Machado, but certainly not eliminated Bryce Harper, but I don't think it's going to be both. Yeah. <laughs> One or the other. Um Keep dreaming. If they get the vibe that Machado's not going to work, all of a sudden maybe they start prioritizing Harper. It, it, it's, it's hard to piece this stuff together um, because they're very, very uh, play things very close to the vest. But I think as we talked about before, you know, I, I really believe in, in action. And, you know, they made a strong bid to get him in July. They've talked about him previously even before that. Uh, all signs have been gearing up for a run at him this winter. And though his comments in October, I think, give, give people pause, I still think that they would like to try to make him a Philly. That's just my read on it. It's, okay. Let's, um, you know, let's imagine the Phillies do sign Manny Machado. They do end up with him. Do you think that whether or not they get Machado, there's any interest in that tier of outfielder below Bryce Harper? I'm talking about the guys like Michael Brantley, A.J. Pollock, uh, even someone like Andrew McCutcheon. Cause if the season started tomorrow, the Phillies outfield would be some form probably of Roman Quinn, Nick Williams, and Odubel Herrera. I think that Quinn was so good defensively in center field late in the season last year that it gives the Phillies a better chance to win if he's defensively if he's playing center field. Um, do you think that they open the season with those three guys in the outfield if they don't get Bryce Harper? I believe they're going to try to bring in another outfielder via trade, via signing. Um, but I think all of those guys you mentioned uh, are considerations, absolutely, um, if you don't get one of the big guys. Um, I think they would try to pursue any one of those guys, um, you know, especially Brantley. I think he's, he's, he's interesting. And I think Brantley has to cut in Pollock. And who was the other one you mentioned? Andrew McCutcheon. Nick Markakis is also Mark out there. is a good name. Jeez, uh, he had a good year. Um, but those guys, I think it's incumbent on them to kind of wait to see how the, the dominoes fall. Right. Where the, where the log, log jam breaks so they can maximize uh, what, the, what they earn, you know. Um, but Brantley, I think, would be a very interesting guy. Machado or not, I think it behooves the Phillies to look at that out those those outfielders just because if you envision what the lineup would look like with Segura and Machado, even if you add both of those guys this offseason, 
you're six, seven, eight, nine. It's still it's it's okay. It's not great. I mean, there's still outs to be had in that lineup. Whereas if you also add a guy like Michael Brantley, that's a great six hole hitter. That's a great two hole hitter. A guy like that can fit in a variety of ways. And let's not forget, they still would like to do something in the bullpen. Right. Right. Um, again, action. They made a. They talked about getting the Diaz kid from Seattle. Uh, they talked about a combination Segura Diaz, and you know. From what I've heard, they were talking some big, big names. Uh, but the Phillies just, you know, they're a little more protective of their farm system there, uh, where the Mets gave them a more attractive package. Uh, but, you know, they certainly have a desire to, to add uh, to that bullpen. There are a few closers, I think, that are worth selling the farm for. But Edwin Diaz is one guy maybe you make an exception for, just because not only is he an elite closer, but he's under a very, very, very cheap price tag relative to the rest of the league for the next four years. So, you know, it just depends to me how big the farm is. (laughs) Right. True. True. All right. So coming up here on At The Yard, we're going to break down what really goes down at the winter meetings. Jim's there year after year. And uh, next week in Vegas figures to be a lot of action. As I said, it's Bryce Harper's hometown and he's kind of at the center of everything that's going on. That is coming up after this health tip from Deborah Hart and Lung Center. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. We're back on At The Yard, Corey Seidman and Jim Salisbury. And Jim, let's talk about what really goes down at the winter meetings. They, they officially, I guess, begin next Monday, and it's a period of a lot of activity in a short amount of time. You have everybody in baseball kind of in one place at the same time. So obviously trade talks, free agent talks ramp up. Take us through what it's like to be there, what the process is like, how early the day starts, what, you know, who's in the lobby, things well, like that. Well, we don't really have enough time because the history of the winter meetings is really very interesting. They're actually used to be, and this is before my time, but I've talked to folks about it. There used to be like a, a, a trade deadline within the winter meetings. Wow. Would, yeah, and that would increase the urgency for making deals. Um, and they, you, I think they always, way back when, used to be in Hawaii. Um, Bet you wish they still were, huh? And, well, it was. I think it's kind of a way, baseball's always been very good at keeping itself in the news in the offseason. You know, they announced their awards in November, kind of stagger them a little bit, getting the newspaper back, you know, um, when, when newspapers were king at promoting the sport. Um, and like I said, there was that trade deadline at the winter meetings, which created more of a flurry for activity. And, you know, Jack McKeon, the old uh, general manager of uh, the San Diego Padres, great guy, managed the uh, 03 Marlins, the World Series. And he is a, a treasure, but he loved to make deals. He used to set up a, um, a desk right in the lobby and say, with a sign, it's an open for business. Oh, that's amazing. And, you know, he'd tell the reporters what he was working on. And, you know, it was, wow. it was all about pumping up interest in the game and interest in the sport. 
Um, I can't see a manager or general manager never, these days doing that. Never, <laughs> never, never. They don't even you know want to tell you uh, in specific what they're working on at all. Jack would tell you everything, and a lot of GMs were like that. Uh, Bill Giles was a lot like that. His belief was that, you know, if I tell people what I'm working on, my fans might get uh, interested and excited, and I might sell more tickets. And it's good for our game to be talked about. Um, in the late 80s or early 90s, they're run by the National Association, which is the governing body for minor league baseball, which is, a, you know, a huge organization. Minor league baseball. Minor league baseball. And uh, the big league clubs would always go. Um, and it was a chance for them to all be under one roof and, and, and talk about deals because it was a time before cell phones mm-hmm. and communication was different. Um, and it was it, it behooved them to all look to be able to look each other in the eye making deals that facilitated things. Uh, but there was a time in the, either the late 80s or early 90s when the big leagues stopped going because they feared the agents were taking over. Um, and it became just, um, you know, crazy. And then in 1997... Uh, they came back. The big leagues started going through winter meetings again, and they've been going ever since. And um, that was 97 in Nashville, I believe. And that's the year that Kevin Brown got $100 million. So they've been back. Um, the big leagues have been going ever since 97. Uh, there's, there's some years there's a ton of activity. Some years there's very little activity. Uh, and what the, what, what, if you could picture a, a convention with uh, an entire industry present at that convention, that is what the winter meetings are. They're not just for big league teams to to, to, uh, wheel and deal, although that's generally what gets all the exposure. Uh, Every minor league team under the sun is um, represented. You'll have a, uh, they need to have a convention hall. Uh, You need to have a huge facility. Uh, And um, basically, they'll have what's called a trade show. And everybody, you know, guys who sell baseballs, guys who sell, uh, if you sell uh, hot dogs or popcorn, uh, you might be there trying to sell a season's worth of popcorn to a minor league team. You might sell batting cages. You might sell baseball bats. Uh, You might sell travel bags. You'll see um, charter airline companies in the trade show trying to to woo big league teams to using their service. Uh, Basically, anything you can dream of that has to do with baseball, There'll be a representative there trying to sell their wares. Uh, one you've seen a boom in recent years of uh, uh, teams uh, that deal with statistical data and statistical analysis and uh, and devices for gauging all all of that video. They're all there meeting with representatives for teams, um, trying to trying to drum up business. And then you know the agents are there, the teams are there. Um, teams generally, you know, Matt Clintech and his crew will have a suite and a, a war room. And um, they've had a plan now for months upon months, but this is where they'll meet with uh, a couple agents that they haven't seen face-to-face and try to knock out deals. Last year, Pat Neshek, they signed at the winter meetings. That deal actually had uh, got done, I think, the day before. It was official at the winter meetings. So it's not like they're doing all their work at the winter meetings. It's just kind of a continu- continuation of, uh, of things they're doing. And, you know, generally uh, the general manager will meet with the uh, writers who cover that team, you know, late in the afternoon, kind of give you a, give you a lowdown. All the managers are there, and each manager – is available and uh, you know talk about his team and and things like that. So it's quite a, quite a it's quite a thing. But it's not just um, it's not just wheeling and dealing at the big league level. It's there's just so much 
uh, going on behind the scenes? For me and for most baseball fans, the winter meetings are one of the most exciting weeks of the year. I mean, it kind of feels like the trade deadline. It kind of feels like the July 31st trade deadline because it's just a lot of activity jam-packed into a short amount of time. And we've seen some really big moves at the winter meetings the last couple of years. I think that's when Chris Sale was traded and uh, and then, you know, Jeff Samar just signed his near $100 million deal. Do you think that the Phillies are going to get things done while the winter meetings are going down, or do you think this is more about groundwork for them for big moves? I, I think they're actually beyond groundwork. I think they've been doing that for, for weeks upon weeks, and I think they're at a point where they could pull triggers on things. I, I believe they'd like to sign Manny Machado. If if the numbers are right, maybe that could get, get done. I kind of think it would go a little longer, but you never know. Uh, they'd love to get a reliever like a, like a Zach Britton, Andrew Miller, I would think those type of things are, are kind of should be getting close. Um, you know, we, we, we've talked about them being in the hunt for starting pitchers. I would think something like that could get close. Um, hey, why, why not both of Britton and Miller? When you look at how baseball is these days, where especially late in the season and in the playoffs, it, it almost benefits you more to have a strong bullpen than a strong starting rotation. Do you think there's any chance that they would be interested in two high-priced lefty relievers? I think there's probably a chance, um, especially – you know, when they get an idea of what they're going to do with their dollars in terms of what's focused on the big guys, Marchado and Harper. If they have a feeling that they can't do one of those guys, then you, there's other ways to improve your team. Uh, you know, if you can't put more runs on the board, you stop the runs. And maybe improve, the Nationals are trying to maybe do. improve the bullpen uh, dramatically is the way to do that. But in terms of these winter meetings, they're going to be interesting because Las Vegas is a big show town. Las Vegas is Bryce Harper's hometown. Uh, Harper and his agent Scott Boris, uh, you know, they both, I think you could say safely that they like to put on a big show. Um, so that, I think, is going to hover over these meetings with Bryce Harper sign in his hometown. Um, I think you could say it makes sense just because of the personalities involved, but the complexities of that contract, I think, might take a little bit longer. I really do. I think we could see it. Uh, play out uh, into the winter more. But the Phillies, they like Harper. They're going to be on Harper. I'm sure they'll meet with Boris in um, in uh, in Las Vegas. I'm positive of it. He's got Britton, who they're interested in. Uh, he's got Keuchel, who I'm not sure they're interested in, but I'm sure his name will come up. And, of course, he's got Harper. And But I still get the feeling that Machado is a guy that they are prioritizing. But There'll be a lot of action there. There'll be a lot of rumors, and a lot of them will be BS. And you know, it's you also part of your job is to try to filter out the the, the true from the false, and uh, see what happens. But you know, they'll be interesting. Um, I'm trying to think. Oh, the, the Matt Clintex first GM meetings. They were in Nashville. That's when they traded uh, Ken Giles for. Velasquez. Vince Velasquez. Who, all those guys. Oberholzer. And we were talking about this the other day. Vince Velasquez is the last guy left from that, from the Phillies' return, isn't he? One of the last uh, guys Tom, left. Tom, Tom Eshelman. Tom Eshelman and Thomas Eshelman, yeah. But, um, yeah, so I remember chasing down that one um, all day in Nashville, and then it kind of getting closer, and now physicals are being passed, and dribs and drabs of information are coming out. And I remember looking up at the clock in the, in the media room, 
uh, where it's basically a newsroom, just people on their laptops writing and whatnot. And I remember looking up and around, and like nobody was left. Everybody was gone. Huh. And they, I remember having a uh, couple of Reese's peanut butter cups for dinner in the hotel uh, gift shop. Only you would remember and, that, Jim. Well, I just remember, like, where did the night go? Where, <laughs> how come I can't get a sandwich? Oh, it's quarter of one. That's why I can't get a sandwich. All right. You ready for some listener questions? As long as uh, our boy uh, Chris Jones is on there, I, I think. You know, he, he is. Unfortunately, I, his question might be moot at this point. He asked about you know Paul why? Goldschmidt. You know why? He, uh, I think he's in a uh, deer blind over at Citizens Bank Park. Uh, <laughs> scoping it out? Yeah, scoping out Matt Clintac's office. I think he's over there, got his binoculars on. Yeah, Chris Jones was the guy who broke the, uh, you know, that, that, that picture of Patrick Corbin at Citizens Bank Park. Unfortunately, Corbin ended up with the division rival, Nat. So our first question comes from Matt Rappa on Twitter, who wants to know, who starts at second base in 2019? Is it going to be Scott Kingery, or is it going to be Cesar Hernandez? If they trade Hernandez, it'll be Kingery, but right now I just don't hear... Their doors are being really knocked down for Cesar. So. And why would they be? I mean, he hit so 40, many. He hit forty points lower yeah. last season than the previous two. It's not like his value's at an all-time high. He seems like the kind of guy that the Phillies probably value more highly than other teams. I think that's a really good point because they like him. He does get on base. Uh, he's a year away from free agency. I think at this point, maybe they're going to ride him out, and then Kingery would take over in twenty twenty. Um, the Segura trade allows them to use. You know, if you remember back to uh, spring training. They wanted to use Kingery in a super utility role. Little second, little short, little third, little outfield. He threw out a runner on a, uh, at home plate from mm-hmm. left field early in the season. And then they had to start using him at shortstop all the time. So I think it allows them to use um, him in that super utility role. Uh, but everything would change if, if suddenly there is a market for Hernandez and he's moved. Then um, Kingery goes to second. I still think, what did Kingery sign? A, how many years? Five deal? years. Five, six-year deal? Yeah. I think, I think he spends the bulk of that contract at um, – at second base, but this year, right now, with Cesar here, super utility, and, and they'd like to have a guy like that. This comes from Brian Hun on Twitter, who wants to know, do we think that if the Phillies were to get both Jay Happ and Charlie Morton, is that more effective than getting just Patrick Corbin? Depends if Charlie Morton's healthy. He's had trouble staying healthy. He was so good last year. Well, he, he reached another level in Houston, as many starting pitchers have recently reached another level in Houston, whether it's a superstar like Justin Verlander or a guy who's in his mid-30s like Charlie Morton. His strikeout rate, his swing and miss rate last year were elite, and it was it's, it's probably frustrating for a lot of Phillies fans because they got him the year before or two years before he really became you know, a standout starting pitcher. Um, I wouldn't... I wouldn't. You know, rule him out of being in play, especially with uh, Chris Young, the pitching coach formerly of Houston. I do think that if the Phillies were to get two pitchers and one of them's Morton and the other's Hap, I think that's more effective than just Patrick Corbin because as good as Patrick Corbin is, when you can solidify two spots in your rotation, potentially get, you know, 170 innings from two different guys as opposed to one, that's an advantage. Uh, okay, this next one comes from some guy, Ricky Batalico? R- I, I don't know how to pronounce Botalico. Oh, Botalico. He wants to know... Jim, when is the best time to plant tomatoes? Wow. Well, you know, around here in southeastern Pennsylvania, the last frost date, according to the Farmer's Almanac, is typically May 12th. Okay. Uh, So, you know, you could even put them in a team a bit earlier than that, but my experience are they're not going to do anything until the ground warms up. They like a nice warm ground. So you can wait till the 15th, 16th, 17th, 20th uh, to put them in. Uh, even, you know, Mother's Day. And uh, once that ground warms up and uh, they get that sun, they're going to go crazy. So, you know, I, I May 
16th, 17th, 18th, okay. 15th, Keep 14th. Yeah. See, this is the kind of insight you can only get on At yeah. The Yard, the yeah. kind of vegetable insight that you can only get on this podcast. All right, last question. I'm surprised he asked me this, that question because I had a terrible year last year. Did you? Yeah. I, I, if I was a ball player, I would have been released. Well, I remember a couple of years ago you showing up in the press box and giving everybody tomatoes, oh, yeah. well, and they I were have, delicious. I'm a, I'm a perennial all-star gardener, um, you know, perennial, probably a Hall of Famer. <laughs> But last year, you know, I just fell off the charts. Not enough sun, too much rain, uh, and critters. Critters galore, uh, galore eating my stuff. So what I need is Ben Davis. Every year can't be a career stuff. year. Yeah. Every year cannot be a well, career I'm, year. Well, I'm in the weight room now, and I'm trying to rebound. There so you go. We'll see what happens. There you go. Have you seen Gabe in the weight room? Um, this last question comes from interesting name here, Evan colon James Pazos' mustache. So he looks like he must be a fan of... The newest lefty Philly reliever. He wants to know how actively the Phillies are pursuing Wilson Ramos. What do you think about that? Hmm, good question. I don't think they are. Um, I don't think they are. You know, he's what's he getting? He's over thirty now. Uh, and I think there's a lot of questions about whether he, whether or not he can stay on the field. Right. His health. Um, I mean, even after the Phillies got him last year, he did not stay on the field. I think that's a big concern. Uh, he obviously is a good hitter. It's a good player, but I don't get the impression that they're on him. Uh, I think they want to see how far will play. So Jorge Alfaro for like 115 or 120 games, something like that. These days, that's a lot of games for a catcher. I think they would. Um, I, I I believe they kicked the tires and, and, and sniffed around a little bit on, on uh, Brian McCann. Interesting. Okay. Um, I think they'd like to do something backup-wise. That would have been a really good yeah. veteran addition, a guy yeah. who's great behind the plate, great with the pitching staff, can still throw out runners, frame pitches, yep. and give you a little bit of offense. So do you think they – would be more inclined to adding a veteran catcher behind Alfaro than they were this past season? I do. I think I, I do. Again, action. They, they sniffed around on, yeah. on um, McCann from what I heard. And that, like you said, that makes sense. Um, I think Ramos would probably want to play more than a backup. I think they want to see Alfaro. And I think there's concerns about just um, him staying on the field. So, you know, I could be wrong. I just don't sense them being on him. Well, so many things in play, yeah. and I would think that by this time next week we will have a much clearer picture. We could see a couple new Phillies. Um, you know, if they're able to accomplish something like Machado and Britain both at the winter meetings, boy, how thing, how differently things would look at this time next week than they are right now. It's already been a really busy offseason in the National League East, and the Phillies have work to do if they want to remain competitive. Um, you know, I've been saying all offseason, the gap between 80 wins and contention is not one superstar. It's a series of moves. That's why I like the Gene Segura move so much, because it was kind of a complimentary piece in addition to that big superstar that many of us are expecting. Uh, Jim, have a good time out there in Vegas. And uh, we'll hear from you then. Thank you for having me at the yard. <laughs> Anytime. All right, that does it for this edition of At the Yard. Once again, please subscribe and rate our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. For Jim Salisbury, I'm Corey Sivan. Catch you next time at the yard.